Hey everyone, today I am sitting with Melissa Mitri, a registered dietitian nutritionist, and we are talking all about postpartum nutrition and adjusting to motherhood. We will cover the top foods for recovery and breastfeeding, adjusting to motherhood and the body image piece, and healthy weight loss after the postpartum period. You are listening to I'm Not Your Shrink, a podcast about changing the dialogue in your life. I am Dr. Tracy Dalglish, clinical health psychologist and couples therapist. Each week, we talk about everyday issues that people face with the intention of helping you to feel connected to yourself, to others, and to live your life. Melissa, I'm so glad we are talking about this important topic today. Your practice is focused on helping moms and moms-to-be build a healthy baby and nourish themselves through a whole foods approach. Now, so often, mothers don't think about seeing a nutritionist as part of their prenatal or postpartum care. What do you think gets in the way of this? Yeah, so I think, and one, I'm very excited to be here as well and talk about this really important topic. Yes, thank you. Passionate about, so thank you, um, first and foremost. And then, as far as what gets in the way of this, I, you know, there's a couple really big reasons that I've seen, and and number one is we're all so busy, and I think that a lot of times we're focusing a lot on the birth plan, um, and, and kind of like the most important, I guess I would say the most, um, pressing things, um, and not always thinking about the long term and what happens after we have baby. Um, Mm -hmm. and I, I think a lot of this is sort of society is a little bit to blame for this because, um, I mean, I, and I'll, I'll speak about my own personal experience, um, shortly, but, um, our OBs are not always talking about, nutrition. Um, mm. times, um, and, and that's really who we're seeing the most, right, during during the pregnancy time is we're going to our OB offices. But a lot of times what we're hearing is what to avoid. Um, and it's very simplified, um, very brief visits that we often have. Um, and, and a lot of times that if we're not hearing it from our, our doctor, then we may not really be thinking about it or seeking out that information ourselves. Um, so, but the, the key is that there's really a lot more to it than just what to avoid. There's so much research on what, what to eat and, and I'm really excited to, to go into that today. Yes. And, and I know for myself that seeing a dietitian was the absolute last thing on my mind. And I remember actually that, um, well, it's actually just been four years exactly. My son turned four yesterday as we were recording. And I think you, your son just turned two, right? Yeah. Yeah. He actually, he just turned two on Saturday. So we just had his party yesterday. <laughs> ah, they're, they're a day apart. But, you know, I had no idea what I was doing as a mother in the sense of breastfeeding and the nutrition piece. And I, I too was so focused on the birth plan that I didn't even think to look up how to breastfeed. It was covered for, you know, 20 minutes in our, in our prenatal course, but, or even what my body would need after birth. And I was so hungry all the time. And, and I struggled too with how my body had changed. And I'm curious about you and your journey into motherhood. Sure. Yeah. So, um, I, I definitely, um, you know, had my own personal struggles as well. Um, I, I am, I am a mom of two boys. I have two toddler Mm -hmm. boys, Alex and Nicholas, uh, they're three and a half and and just turned two. And I've definitely come a long way since becoming a mom. 
Mm -hmm. uh, definitely a journey for sure. Yes, it still is. So um, that's what I like to remind my clients that, um, you know, these things take time to adjust. And um, when I when I had my first son, Alex, I, I found the the postpartum period to be a lot harder than I anticipated. Um, I did I did a lot of reading and research during pregnancy when I was pregnant, but not too much about the postpartum period. So again, I was kind of focusing just on during the pregnancy time, not really on what was going to happen after having him. So mm-hmm. so uh, you know, focusing on whether to get an epidural. That's kind of like where a lot of my um, you know what was going on in my own head, um, and I thought that after baby, I would just kind of figure it out. And I, I was so excited to meet him that I didn't really put too much thought into um, a lot of those details. So after having Alex, my first son, I struggled a lot with breastfeeding and, and just feeling isolated. So being a dietitian, I knew of all the nutritional benefits of breast milk and I knew I wanted to do it, but I thought it would just come naturally. I didn't realize how challenging it actually would be. Yes, it's it's so hard. And I can really relate to just that thought of, I'll just figure it out. It'll come, right? Right, right. And and often at times that, that that's sort of our mindset because we don't we try not to worry too much. So mm-hmm. we kind of just think, well, when the time comes, we'll we'll figure it out. And, mm-hmm. and times we're we're reactive rather than being proactive, and that's not always a good thing. Um so when I had Alex uh, and, and I started breastfeeding, he didn't latch on very well um, the first few days. And he would often cry when I would try to nurse him. Uh, and, and since I, you know, I didn't want to start him on a bottle um, in the beginning because the lactation consultant actually recommended against that. Uh-huh. Uh, so that's a common, a very common thing um, from yes. nurses and lactation consultants. And uh, so really I was, I was hand expressing my colostrum those first few days into a cup and that's how I was feeding him through a syringe. So I really wasn't breastfeeding him those first few days because he wouldn't latch on. Um, and, and, but the funny thing about it is whenever the lactation consultant would come in and assist, he would latch on fine. Mm. And, but then whenever she would leave, when I tried to do it myself, I would often have trouble again. So, um, I, I went home, you know, after a few days and, and the problem still continued. I, you know, tried to get support from joining a local breastfeeding support group, which was great to have that in-person support and just to get out of the house. Um, but I was still having challenges there. I remember just feeling really isolated because most of the moms seemed very calm during, um, you know, while they were breastfeeding and their babies seemed happy when they were nursing. Mm. You know, they really weren't crying or they just seemed satisfied after they stopped feeding. And Alex was always crying, even after, um, you know, my breast would feel as if, you know, I kind of was following all the signs that the lactation consultant said that, you know, if your breasts feel lighter after, after feeding, then that means that, you know, that he fed well. Um, but then after that, he would still be crying. So I started feeling sort of embarrassed and it, it almost kind of made me feel like I, you know, am I doing something wrong? Oh yeah. Oh goodness. And it's so hard to know, eh? Of, am I doing it right? I'm going home and it's not working the way it is at, at with the consultant. And I think so many women can it, relate to this mm-hmm. just in the sense of looking out to others and that they seem that everything is going okay and their own experience isn't. Right. Right. Oftentimes we're in our, we're sort of in our own head and yeah. not always realizing that they, 
there may be other people that are, there definitely are a lot of other people that are having these same challenges, but in the, in the moment, we're often feeling like we're alone in that. And, and, and it's definitely not the case. So I, I, you know, I did get a lot of support from that group and I was, you know, I was told to just keep trying, but to me at that time, that I felt that 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 wasn't enough. That wasn't helpful because something just still didn't feel right. Mm. Um, I felt like I was trying, but it still wasn't working. I felt like he should seem more content after a feeding. So I I did stop going to this group after about a month or so because I I just didn't feel comfortable. I felt like something else needed to be done. So I started doing my own more of my own research and then ended up bringing him to the doctor because he was still really colicky. And uh, during this time, I actually started him on bottles a few times a day because I was, I mean, I was really just very drained from the process of constantly trying to feed him. Of course. Yeah. So I, you know, I did, I kind of took my own, um, took it into my own hands and used my own judgment with that, which I think is important as a mom. And, uh, but then when I started him on bottles, I noticed he was still really cranky even after having a bottle and he kept pulling away from it like he would do with when he was breastfeeding. So I started to think, hmm, maybe it's not the breastfeeding, maybe something else is going on. So I, I brought him to the doctor and, um, and, and I, you know, and the reason why I brought him to the doctor is because he still seemed unhappy. And when I was doing a lot of my own research, I found something called silent reflux. Mm. Um, I'll explain a little bit more about what that is, but I had never heard of that before this. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I did tell the pediatrician his symptoms and, um, based on my own kind of anecdotal report, uh, the pediatrician said, Oh, you know, really felt most likely that is what it was is that it was uh. so um so really i you know, we started him on zantac um which is a medication for reflux and uh-huh. his symptoms completely improved with just a few days wow so, um really miraculous with that but um really for for those that don't know silent reflux is is basically a type of reflux that sounds like what it is. It's the symptoms. It is reflux, but the symptoms are silent. They're not as obvious as with traditional reflux where there's more clear signs like frequent spitting up, sometimes throwing up. Um, and, and silent reflux, this usually doesn't happen. Um, it's usually more um, kind of crankiness or maybe pulling off away from the bottle or from the breast. Um, so it's not as easy to diagnose. Mm-hmm. But still just as painful um, because the body is, is, is sort of trying to reject it, um, but the, it doesn't um, completely come out and be released, um, you know, from spinning up. So, um, you know, when we started him on Zantac and, and kind of just treated it like a t- traditional reflux with small, more frequent feedings. Um, it, it's yeah. challenging because, you know, you, you started out by saying we don't prepare for what the journey will be after giving birth. And we do, we wouldn't know to look for something like this. I mean, how could it, it's that expression of you don't know what you don't know. Right. Right. Yeah. How could you have known? Right. And it, and it's not easy to always know. And it's true because how would you know to, you know, to look up this condition? How would you know that this is a factor? Well, um, you know, and that's why it, it's really important as a mom or when you're pregnant it, to be your own advocate and to, you know, I was big on doing my own research, but it could be challenging to do your own research because you don't always know what's 
true information when you're looking on the internet. And that's why, um, you know, really I, I, I strive to help moms when they're kind of in their earlier stages of pregnancy to help educate them, uh, on what, what to look for and kind of prepare for that postpartum, all of these things to look for, because most, a lot of professionals are not focusing on that. A lot of times they're focusing on the treatment, when it's after something already happens and then sometimes it's more difficult and it's harder when you, after you already have the baby and you have less time to really focus on everything. I think what really stands out for me is when you said, you know, I knew something wasn't right. Like you were tuning into your body and to your baby and feeling that something just isn't right. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. And I think that that's really, it's really important to, to know that and to kind of go with your gut um, with those feelings because you know more than, as the mom, you know more than anyone when something just doesn't feel right, especially when you know that you're you're doing everything you can do and you're really trying um, in anything that you're doing and, and something still doesn't seem right. Um, then you have to really advocate for yourself and, and ask those questions because um, a lot of times no, nobody's going to do it for you. So you need to, um, to be able to, to speak up and feel comfortable doing that. And I think that that just kind of comes in time. Um, but with education, it can make it easier to know what to look for. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. I think so many women struggle with this, you know, the newness of being a mother and trying to navigate this area, but really, trusting yourself and you are your own expert and if something doesn't feel right to listen to that listen to your body right I talk about that a lot in terms of working with clients of just listening to your body trusting your gut and using that in this new realm of being a mother mm -hmm. definitely absolutely that's so true and and, and really I, you know what ended up you know, progressing a little bit further in my journey as a mom, I, I, you know, after bringing Alex to the doctor and and starting him on the medication, I, I think that, um, at that point I did, um, slowly, uh, wean him off of breastfeeding because, um, you know, really, uh, to add to this as far as, and I, of course I, I am a big promoter of breastfeeding, but I also am, um, you know, realistic also that sometimes it, for many reasons, it, it doesn't either. It doesn't work out if you try or for some women, it's just not for them. And I mm -hmm. think that, um, you know, every um, mother has to make that decision for themselves, um, you know, based on the knowledge that they have. But I, I, I did have a lot of guilt, uh, me just personally, with with stopping breastfeeding because it didn't work out and mm -hmm. I guilt for a long time. And I, you know, I, I wish I didn't, but I think that a lot of us do have that mom guilt just naturally. And it's really hard to, um, you know, completely avoid that. Um, and, but I, but I saw in time as I slowly, you know, weaned him off and, and, and formula fed him and he was growing great and he was a happy baby that, you know, really he, he's very smart now. I mean, now he's almost four years old and, <laughs> you know, it took me, it took me a good three to four months though to, to kind of get over that, that guilt, um, and kind of make peace with, with all of it. But, um, but really, um, you know, you do the best you can with, with what you have, you know, with the information that you have at the time. And, um, but that, that, you know, what happened with me is the biggest reason why I am so, um, such a promoter of being proactive with your own health, because if I were to have 
um, known some of these things beforehand, then maybe I would have been able to, um, you know, to breastfeed for longer. And, and, and for anyone that's breastfed before knows that, you know, if you do stop breastfeeding or slow down for a few days, it's very difficult to kind of get back to it um, when you're in that time. So, um, right. I'm sure so many people can relate to your experience in terms of breastfeeding and there's the challenges that come with being a first time mom. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Definitely. And I think that it, it's just so important to, um, to take care of yourself and to know, to know what to look for and what to expect. Um, rather than, like I said, being in that reactive type of phase, um, when you're so busy as a new mom and it's, it's more difficult to really, um, you know, think more clearly. So. Mm. And sleep deprived. (laughs) Yes, definitely. (laughs) Now, Melissa, tell us more about the professional part of you as a dietitian and nutritionist. Sure. So, uh, so yes, so I'm a registered dietitian. Um, I'm in Connecticut. I practice in Connecticut, um, but I run a, an online nutrition practice. So I, uh, majority of my nutrition counseling one-on-one appointments are virtually. So, um, which is great for, um, you know, for women that are very busy, um, and also allows me to reach, um, to reach a lot more people that aren't necessarily local, um, to where my practice is. So, uh-huh. um, so I run, yeah. Yes. And and sorry, the convenience of the online sessions, I offer them as well. And it's just to be in your own home if baby is having a nap and sleeping. Yeah, it's definitely. so important in our healthcare to be able to have that accessibility. I'm so glad you offer those sessions. Yes, thank you. And you as well. I think that's it's very much needed nowadays, like you said, when everyone is so busy and 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 for every stage of, of motherhood, um when you're mm-hmm. If you're pregnant and um, you're, you know, you're going to a lot of in-person appointments already, um, you know, it, it can seem kind of overwhelming to have to go to more in-person appointments and to offer online. Um, I found that has been really beneficial and, and much less of a, you know, no barrier for, for a lot of women. So um, it's, it's been really great. So I, I, I specialize in helping women during kind of like all stages of motherhood during pregnancy, postpartum, and I'm just navigate this challenging time of, you know, the challenging world of prenatal nutrition and, and help women to feel confident on what to eat during this time. So, um, I really like to focus more on, on what to eat and not what to avoid, um, because Mm -hmm. it can seem so restrictive and, and there really is so much more to it than that. So, um, so I've been a dietitian a little over 10 years now and I opened my, um, private practice just in, uh, 2018. So, um, just this past summer and since becoming a mom myself, really that I, there's a big reason why I started this journey. I'm very passionate about helping other moms and moms to be through this journey uh, and even because even as a dietitian, I did find it difficult myself to find accurate information on what to eat in my research. And I found a lot of conflicting information on the Internet. So right. that can lead to a lot of confusion um, and overwhelm. So, um, you know, as the expert, I really wanted to be able to help, you know, do that research for my clients and be able to help them. 
Yes, and I know you have a blog and you post so many great resources and evidence-based research, which I think is so important because what do we do? I mean, I do it all the time. I go to Google and I type in what to or how to, mm-hmm. and sometimes the information that pops up might be biased or misinformed. And so I think the work you're putting out there is so key. Thank you. Yes. And it's, it's so needed because it, like you said, I mean, it, it's, of course, it's so easy for all of us to just go, you know, Google any questions that we have. And then oftentimes we're just, you know, we're clicking on one of the first things that we see, right? One of the first links. Yes. Because, <laughs> I think that's probably the most, the most valuable or the most <laughs> is the quickest but it's not always the you know and there you always have to check to make sure that whoever is writing that article that it's a credentialed professional and it's not always easy to see that and it takes time to really investigate that and see why are they writing what they're writing and there is a lot of bias you know that person writing that article can be selling a supplement that's related to the article and and there's a lot of you know conflicting information because of that. So yeah, so I do blog regularly um, on my website in order to get, you know, the right information out there um, Mm -hmm. and easy to understand too, easily accessible. So um, I guess. (laughs) So let's shift into talking about postpartum recovery and breastfeeding, because I think this is such an important topic. And I'm curious, what are some of the top foods that mothers need to be considering for this period for postpartum recovery and breastfeeding? Sure. Yes. So I get this question a lot. It's probably one of the most uh, commonly asked questions as far as what to eat, especially during breastfeeding. So I I do want to preface by saying first and foremost, uh, in regards to breastfeeding, the most important thing you can do for a healthy milk supply is to eat frequently and drink plenty of water. Mm. So there is, those are the, if you don't, you know, remember anything else <laughs> from the, <laughs> those are the two most important things, um, just to help simplify, um, because there are a lot of, I know there are a lot of barriers to breastfeeding already. And, and, and for, for some, you know, worrying about what to eat, can be per- sometimes perceived as another stressor or another thing to think about. So those really are the two most important things, but there so, are, yeah. Oh, sorry. So Melissa, when you say frequently, because I know some people will say they eat once every four hours and they only eat three meals a day. And for myself, I knew that I had to eat every two hours or I would get shaky. My milk supply would go down. Mm-hmm. What's frequently yeah. for you? Yeah. So frequently is, is definitely more, yes, more often than every four hours. So probably every two to three hours at the most. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so thinking more like five or six smaller meals throughout the day and, um, and yes, and everyone's a little bit different. If you find that like for you, like you said, if you were starting to feel shaky after two hours, then your body was telling you that you needed to eat that frequently. Mm-hmm. Um, And also, you know, I'll go into which specific foods are helpful because there are definitely certain foods that will hold you over a little bit longer. Mm -hmm. So maybe two to three hours, maybe, you know, three hours is might be more realistic, um, you know, when you're very busy, then there are certain foods that are going to last you longer, which is important. And I think a lot of women would want to (laughs) hear. (laughs) so yes um so so that would be kind of like the every two to three hours would be ideal and um so as far as uh specific foods there are specific foods that they can enhance your breast milk quality so um one improving your supply but also you can affect the um 
the types of nutrients that are available in your breast milk to make it what we call more nutrient dense for mm. the baby. So um, your baby will um, get more of your nutrients from a feeding if you eat specific foods. Um, and also it's important, even if you choose not to breastfeed, to have specific foods to help in your recovery. So help in aid in a faster recovery after childbirth. Um, like I said, I always like to focus on what to have in your diet, rather what to stay away from. Yes. Uh, and your body, what happens is after having a baby, your, your body actually preferentially takes your new, your nutrients and will give them to your baby. So when it comes to breastfeeding, when it comes down to it, if you're not eating enough and not focusing on specific foods, you may be at risk for becoming deficient because your body will break down your own stores in order to give it to your baby. Um, so it's really interesting. Um, so that's, that's sort of how it, how it works. But I am, I am always a promoter of food first before supplements. Um, but knowing that it may not always be possible to get enough from your food alone, depending on the type of diet that you follow and how much that you're able to eat. So Mm -hmm. supplements are often part of the plan too, depending on the, on the mom. So, um, so, so I'm going to focus on none of the, the top nutrients, um, for after, after having baby. And there's definitely more than what I'm going to talk about, but I want to talk about the most important ones that are kind of going to give you the most bang for your buck, depending on the types of food. Okay. What, what should we be looking for? Okay. So the, so the first, um, the first one is iron. So just like during pregnancy, um, your iron needs after pregnancy remain high. So higher than normal. So You continue to need extra iron um, to help replenish what you lost during childbirth, whether you had a vaginal birth or a C-section, and also as well to give you energy, which is so important when caring for a newborn, of course. Of course. Yes. So, so your iron stores are really important to supply to your growing baby if you're breastfeeding for their proper development and also their thyroid function. So really important for mom and for baby. What are some examples of good iron sources? Yes. So good iron sources. So the best sources are from animal products. Um, and, uh, the most, the highest in iron is red meat. So, um, particularly liver. Mm. Um, so liver, uh, is one of the best sources of iron and the most absorbed, uh, form of iron. And, um, but also other great sources are clams, oysters, and then green leafy vegetables. So all the top sources, um, And animal sources are preferred because they contain a type of iron called heme iron. That's H-E-M-E iron. And it's more readily absorbed in our bodies. So there's basically two types of iron. There's the heme that's in animal sources and there's the non-heme that's in plant sources. Uh, But the plant source of iron is not absorbed as well in our body. And Mm -hmm. it contains contains these what's called anti-nutrients and they actually can affect the ability of our body to absorb them. So a lot of times I think a lot of us traditionally think about spinach as being like the best iron source, which it is a really great source, but because it's a vegetable source, we need probably like four to five times of it, a very large amount of it to meet your iron needs. So right. not always realistic. So, um, so if you are a vegetarian, um, or a vegan, I, I would definitely recommend an iron supplement in order to meet your needs. 
So with all of these nutrients, um, you know, really the emphasis is getting your levels checked and and knowing um, knowing what your levels are, um, regardless if, you know, you may think that you're having a, a balanced diet, but you know, might be missing something and not know it. Mm-hmm. So um, and then another really important nutrient is DHA, which is a type of omega-3 fat. Um, so I know we hear a lot about omega-3s and so many different contacts. Um, but uh, a DHA particularly is one type of omega-3. Um, and it's very, very important, um, especially during the postpartum period for several reasons. Um, so our body really doesn't make enough of it. So we do have to have it in our diet. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, inf- the infant born to mothers with a high DHA level um, in their breast milk actually have better brain and visual development. So again, just like B12, really important for development in their baby, um, is particularly brain and vision development, um, really, really crucial. Um, so even if you're not breastfeeding, there are also a lot of really good benefits for mom, um, with DHA and providing more mental focus, reducing inflammation. And also there's a lot of strong research on reducing your risk of postpartum depression. Yes. Um, So important. There's some good research there. Yeah, definitely. So, um, so really the best DHA sources also come from animal foods. So, um, wild sockeye salmon. So, um, I like to be specific with the type of salmon because there's so many different kinds that you can buy. Mm -hmm. Um, but the wild sockeye is the most, the best source of DHA. Um, also tuna is a really great source of DHA. Um, if you are pregnant, then the light tuna is better because it's lower in mercury. So the light tuna rather than the white albacore tuna, tuna which is higher in mercury. Um, and then uh, sardines are a really great source. And then fortified foods such as fortified grass-fed beef and eggs are also really good sources. Mm. So you can also get DHA from plant-based sources like flaxseed, chia seed, um, but it won't provide you with enough. Um, they, it, it, it has sort of the inactive form of DHA. So it's going to take a lot of those foods to meet your needs. So, um, so again, if you're not having a lot of meat, um, animal foods in your diet, um, you're probably not getting enough DHA and then you'd want to take a supplement. Right. You know, it's interesting, Melissa, if I'm thinking back to that time of being a new mom and if someone were to give me all of these things, I have to honestly say I would feel overwhelmed. (laughs) Yes, yes, definitely. There's a lot of there's so much information. So uh, I'm really trying to and it it takes like I said, it takes a really long time to research it yourself and to really know what are the best uh, what's the right information. So um, there's so much to it. All right, guys, I am stepping into a recording to let you know that Melissa has provided you with an amazing resource with all of this information. She lists the top nutrients that you need in the postpartum period with a list of foods that you can eat. Head over to drtracyd.com forward slash podcast forward slash episode 10 to access that resource. This is a complex time that it's not just about what your body is like what you need to you need to eat to survive but that there's so much more than just putting food in your body that it's about the the proper food into your body and the proper nutrients for yourself and also your baby right 
Right. Definitely. And I think that to sum up this topic, really, it's um, like you said, that a lot of these foods kind of uh, a lot of these nutrients are in similar foods. So there's kind of a pattern that you see. And really, when you when you eat a lot of these foods, what we call nutrient dense foods, um, they they fill you up um, with not you know, an excessive amount of calories. And I think that that's important to know because um, you want to eat those nutrient dense foods that are going to give you energy, hold you over longer rather than, you know, for example, to compare having a really large bowl of pasta um, that has carbs, but really doesn't have a lot of other nutrients. And it's giving you a ton of calories and doesn't hold you over. So probably later, you're going to be starving again. And that's very difficult when you're in the postpartum period, um, you know, to to constantly be hungry and not always be able to eat right away. If you're busy. So yeah, and, and you know, even anecdotally for myself, if I eat a bowl of cereal, I'm hungry within 10 minutes. So the, oh, yeah, that's not too. enough for me. So I know yeah. I have to, I eat eggs, I put other protein and other good fats in there to keep me full. And that, mm-hmm. oh gosh, this is such good information that I, I have to be honest, Melissa, I wish I had found you when I had my first child <laughs> so I could have all of this to help me go through the day to day. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. No, I know it's uh, it, it like you said, it's so much. It's really so much more than we think. And I think the postpartum period is, for many ways, just a period that so many of us don't focus on enough. And it's it's really it, it's such a disservice because there's so much that can be done to make that transition so much smoother um, for mom and for baby. Just the whole transition yes. to motherhood, nutrition is a big part of it. So. So I'm going to shift gears with you. And actually, before I do, um, for people who are listening, check out Melissa on Instagram. It's Mummy Nutritionist. We'll we'll talk about it at the end of the episode of where people can find you. But I can even think you have an image on there where it's a comparison of a bowl of pasta and a bowl of something else to talk about how to fill yourself up. So you have great resources on your Instagram. Thank you. Yes, I like to share really good information on there. I know that it's uh, a great way to reach a lot of people and to be able to, to, to share what I know to be able to help help more women to make this easier. So the period after giving birth is so challenging, both physically, emotionally, and mentally. And I know so many women will say that they were not prepared for their bodies to take more time to return to normal. And when I say normal, I'm not just talking about the flat stomach or the weight loss, but even just the shifting in the the physical aspects of their body, like even the rib cage returning back to normal, right? Because it pushes up and expands out or breast size with breastfeeding um, or even the ability to go for that two mile walk that you used to even do easily while you were pregnant um, or even before becoming pregnant. Or the other piece, like pelvic floor changes, which if you haven't listened to episode seven on pelvic floor health with Andrea Plitz, go and check it out. Um, But adjusting to motherhood and the changes that happen to our bodies is so hard. And I'm sure you see this with the women you work with. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It, it really is. It, it's it's a it's a really big adjustment. And uh, it, it takes, you know, it, especially if you, you know, were someone that, uh, you know, really, in, you know, enjoyed exercise beforehand and, um, you know, put a lot of effort into that and then having it feel different after is um, it can be a tough to adjustment and take some time. Absolutely. So what two tips would you give to mothers in this stage? 
So number one, I would say make time for yourself and practice self-care. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, so it's really so important to have time for yourself. And of course, most of us are probably saying, yeah, right. I don't have time for, you know, any time for myself with a newborn. You know, how am I going to do that? Um, but it really doesn't have to be anything big. Uh, it just could be something small every day. So it's a regular part of your life. Um, it is actually better to do a little something regularly rather than kind of waiting, waiting a month or two to have like, a, you know, a, an all day spa day. Uh, it, it's really important to do a little something regularly, you're going to get much more benefit. So for example, just having a 10, taking a 10 minute hot shower alone, um, or reading a magazine, you know, (laughs) little thing, really simple things doesn't have to be anything crazy, but it's going to give you more patience, um, you know, with your baby, with yourself and, and kind of recharge you. Um, so it, it, you know, really doesn't have to be anything extravagant, uh, to have a really positive effect on, on you. Um, it's really just, you know, a little time away from baby doing something for you to recharge. So you're, you know, you're doing a little bit something for yourself every day. Um, what happens is if you don't make time for this, um, you, you may become bitter and, and more burnt out and, and that just adds to the stress of motherhood. So, um, yes, absolutely. It's, yeah, it's really only going to help you, um, your, your partner and your family if you take that time to do something for you. That's such a great tip. Small things frequently find those small moments, even just 10 minutes every day. Okay. Awesome. What's your second one? So my second tip is making, just making peace with your, with your body and being proud Mm. of so, you know, making peace of your body is so in your body is so important. So knowing that it took nine months to gain the baby weight, and then it may take at least nine months to lose the weight. And, and get to a body that you feel confident in. And that's completely normal and, and, and very, very common. Um, know that you're not alone in, in this and that it's totally okay to take your time. Um, you know, wear clothes that make you feel confident. Um, do little things like even getting your hair cut or buying a new mascara. You know, little things like that can help increase your confidence and, um, you know, just make you feel good, good about yourself um, and feel more like yourself um, in this journey after baby. Yes, that's so important. You know, those small things can really matter. I I will completely say that when I washed my face and put mascara on, mascara is just one of my things. But if I did that... You know, I felt I felt more prepared for the day and like I could just be me, be good. Yeah, definitely. And and mm. even and just to have one more quick tip, like when, you know, not not worrying about, uh, you know, a lot of like celebrities and, and, you know, we see a lot of celebrities, Instagram models as far as, you know, getting your body back right away after, you know, one to two months after having the baby. And, and really the reality is for for most of us, that's, that's not realistic. And no, it's not. Well, yeah. And, and most of us, it's the, actually the norm to still have, have a little pooch after a baby and have weight to lose. And, and, and that's sort of how it should be. So not feeling that pressure to, you know, to keep up with having the perfect body right after having a baby. Okay. So this leads perfectly into our next topic, which is weight loss in this period and it would be a myth if we didn't talk about it and particularly given that you specialize in helping people manage their weight yes definitely so so having I definitely focus on healthy weight loss after postpartum um so you know a lot of moms are anxious to lose lose the weight 
immediately and, and kind of bounce back after baby. And again, it's just, the, it's a lot of the pressure comes from society. Um, and also if you've always prioritized a healthy diet and exercise, it, it can be difficult to adjust to, you know, kind of the changes that happen after baby, but knowing that it does take time. And, uh, but if you were active during your pregnancy, it will be easier to come off. So, um, so as far as, you know, just diet and exercise, my biggest tips, um, for, for weight loss, um, I don't recommend weight loss, focusing on weight loss for the first six months postpartum. And, and the reason for this is in order to just give your body time to recover. And if you are breastfeeding, making, it'll help to make sure that your milk supply is not affected. So mm. really, really important to give yourself time and, and, and not to focus on weight loss those first six months. Um, and then also staying active is really important. And it, when I say staying active, it doesn't have to be intense exercise, especially during those first few months. Um, you know, it could be just, you know, going for a walk, you know, going for a stroll or walk outside with the baby um, is really good for you. Um, you know, starting with 10 minutes and, you know, even breaking it up throughout the day, um, you know, three 10 minute walks, um, you know, or a, a quick, you know, 10 minute video workout while the baby is mm napping, you know, something like that, that's, um, you know, achievable and something that you could fit in with your day just to help with your mood. And, and, and it's going to help to slowly kind of get you back into a routine. So mm -hmm. really just taking your time. It doesn't have to be that intense exercise. Um, but staying, you know, active regularly, even just for 10 minutes is going to make a huge difference in adjusting back and, um, you know, keeping up your, your energy during and and Melissa, I, I think, you know, we, we tend to focus on that number on the scale, but what what is it that you know about the last kind of five to 10 pounds of that baby weight if people are trying to lose the weight? Yeah. So, um, so really what often most of the time happens is those, those last five to 10 pounds are definitely the hardest to lose. Usually mm. the first Usually the first few months, especially if you're breastfeeding, you tend to lose some of your weight pretty quickly um, because you're just burning so many calories through breastfeeding. Right. Um, and, and also, even if you're not breastfeeding, just, you know, moving around a lot, taking care of a newborn, you know, does burn a lot of calories in itself. So, <laughs> so that really happens. But then when it, you know, at, at some point, um, most women hit a plateau and um, those last five, 10 pounds are more difficult. And, and it's, it, it's just because that's sort of how it always is, um, even without um, having a baby is that we kind of all have like our set point of our weight where um, sometimes, you know, achieving that perfect weight, um, is not, um, it doesn't mean it's not possible, but it just takes a little bit longer, um, to get to that point because you hit a, a plateau and your metabolism slows down a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. when you get to that point, um, the exercise is really a really big component. And that's oftentimes what I help women with at, you know, after that six month mark is kind of figuring out more, what are they doing with their, what are you doing with their diet, with your exercise and how can we kind of kick it up a little bit at that point when they're physically ready and able, um, to focus more on meal planning, you know, kind of realistic strategies and getting a little bit into more, um, you know, more frequent exercise. And then that will definitely help. Um, like I know for myself, um, it took me over a year to lose those last five to 10 pounds. And what uh -huh. And what helped me is getting back into running again. And um, it's really finding something that you enjoy, whether it's with your food and with your exercise together, that you're going to be able to stick with. And that's how you're going to get, you know, to lose those last few pounds. Right. 
So, yeah. So, so really my, my biggest, you know, my biggest tip, um, you know, to end today is just being patient, be, be patient with yourself and cut yourself some slack, really. Um, you know, the weight loss will come in time and, um, you know, just being patient and, and knowing that it will come and that it's a journey and, and that's completely mm. okay. I'm so glad you said that. When we first started, I wrote down journey and I wanted to circle back to that just to remind new moms and, you know, even this whole period, it's just, this is a journey. Then just be on the journey. It's not about the outcome. It's not about the end. It's the process that really matters. Melissa, you have been so informative today and you have provided such great information and tips for mothers in this really important period. Thank you so much for taking this time to speak with me. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me. So where where can we find more information about you? Yes. So um, so on uh, social media, on Instagram, um, I actually just changed my handle um, to body after baby. So it's body dot after baby. Mm-hmm. Um, and my website is uh, melissamitri.com. And, um, and just a, a quick side note, um, I am working on, and I'm really excited about a, um, an ebook, a postpartum nutrition guide um, for new moms. And um, hopefully that'll be uh, released in the next month or so. So that's just something to, to keep a lookout for. Yes, absolutely. You'll have to let me know when that's released because that will be such a good guide for new moms. Absolutely. Amazing. Thank you so much, Melissa. I'm so glad we had the chance to speak today. Thank you. This concludes our episode for today. I would love to hear from you in some way. If you have a question, send me a DM on Instagram or post it on my website, drtracyd.com. I would love if you head over to iTunes and left me a review. Let me know what you thought of today's episode. Or if you have any ideas or wishes in terms of what you'd like to hear on these episodes, please drop me a line because that would be so meaningful for me. Remember, this podcast is strictly for informational purposes and does not substitute for mental health care from a licensed professional. Until next time, have a great week and remember that you are right where you need.